And honestly, we, we hope that when you come into the presence of Wapak Naz and the presence of these people that you feel like, honestly, you're, you're at home and you're with family. Um, hopefully, you've experienced that today and over the course of time uh, that you've been with us. And so, um, so this morning, uh, if, if you got a pen, pull out a pen. If you don't have a pen or a pencil, pull out your phone. Um, because I'd like for you to go on a, a journey of self-discovery just for a few minutes before we get into um, what we're about to get into. It, 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 it'll come together a little bit later, but um, I've got a few questions that I want to ask you, um, and, and I want you to think through this uh, for just a moment. Um, I'm going to run through the questions fairly quickly, um, but do your best to answer as many as you can um, as possible, okay? Um, so one, do you believe you're static or dynamic? Static meaning that you cannot change, you will not change. Who you are is who you are, and that's all you are. And you've actually said that to people, I am who I am. Or dynamic, the fact that you can transform, that you can change, that you, you are malleable. Do you believe you're static or dynamic? Um, what things or things causes you uh, or creates a deep emotional movement on the inside of you or honestly makes your heart beat a little bit faster and really want to do that thing? What is that? When you hear that word or when you hear somebody talk about that, you're just like, ah, oh, that's me. Ah. Oh. Write it down. Put it in your phone. What do you, enjoy with, what do you enjoy with your time? What do you enjoy doing with your time? Maybe it brings you peace. Maybe it gives you a sense of purpose. What do you enjoy doing with your time? I see a lot of you looking at me and not a lot of you writing. <laughs> I see some of you typing. That's good. Um, name one one or a few moments in your life in which you walked away feeling like you did something greater than yourself. A moment or moments could even be a job that you, you did that you felt, man, I, I, I'm definitely, that was definitely a moment I felt greater than myself. I'm going to move to another screen. What would you do day in and day out, uh, even if you would not get paid for it? What would you do in your life, with your life, day in and day out, even if you didn't get paid for it? And going to McDonald's, Matthew, is not an option. <laughs> um, what if you quit? What if you quit or quit before you started? Um, because of fear, because of failure, or because of fear of failure? What did you quit or what did you quit before you even started? Because of fear, failure, or fear of failure? I'm starting to poke and prod a little bit. What might be something or some things you, want, uh, you would love to do but failed to do due to fear, procrastination, or you just don't know where or how to start? What might be something that you would do or some things that you would do um, that you failed to do, that you just don't do due to fear or procrastination or that um, you just don't know where to start or how to start. Last screen. Should be the last screen. I don't remember. Um, what abilities, what skills, or talents do you have that people know about? Think about this, because there are sometimes people will tell you some things. Man, you're really good at. Man, you just seem to be in the zone when you do this or that um, or you just people just speak that out of you like man you're you are this or you are that um, 
What abilities, skills, talents do you have that most people know nothing about? That maybe only you and a select few know something about? And if you say, I have nothing, I'm going to disagree with you. You do have something. Maybe some of you cook or you bake or you're crafty or you know like air conditioning and heating units like the back of your hand. I don't know. Um, Of all the needs in our world or our community, I'll put the last two together. Of all the needs in our world or our our community, Wapakoneta, um, Bodkins, Piqua, um, Lima, Shawnee, we're, we're from surrounding areas here at Wapakoneta. Um, of all the needs in our world or our community, which one or ones do you think or feel, because not everybody's a thinker, many people are emotional, think or feel the most strongly about? Name one or two of them or three of them, or you might have a massive list in your back pocket. This is kind of important because this is who you are. Um, And uh, several weeks ago, um, your youth pastor uh, and I were at a at a ministry discovery assessment conference. I was a facilitator, and Matthew and Chris were were uh, um, candidates there. and And it was all about discovery. It was all about figuring out who you are, um, fissures or cracks, crevices that you're not aware of, blind spots that you're not aware of, but also what you are aware of. Some things, some skills, some talents, some abilities. Um, that, that you have. And um, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself that most of my, there, there, there was a, most of my growing up, my youth, um, was spent trying to figure out where I fit, where I belonged. And in fact, I, I actually struggled with the, the, the idea that I had little or nothing to offer people. Um, and, and for instance, I, I, I was a little towhead, skinny, pale kid, mistaken for Casper the Friendly Ghost a lot. Um, but uh, um, I was always pulled, I was pulled out of, of um, class in my first grade year because I, I had some speech problems. I wasn't able to make certain sounds. And the more I, I've thought about that in my adult life, I think the more that that really impacted me because I, I believe that because I was pulled out of class, in the middle of class, and students knew that, um, and I struggled to talk and make certain words, I was under the impression that I had nothing to say. And even if I had something to say, no one wanted to listen in the first place. Have you ever thought that you weren't enough? Have you ever, have so, has someone convinced you that you weren't enough? Maybe you're, you're playing that record in your head as an adult or even as a teenager. That someone told you you weren't enough. Were you under the belief that you didn't even have enough to change things around you? that you didn't have enough at your disposal, that you didn't have enough resource in your life to even make a difference. I venture to say, many of you sitting here and those of you listening online, that you probably have. And it's played into your life and you have filtered that. You have filtered situations through that in your life. But I, I want to tell you today that that impression that you may have or may have had when you were a kid or as an adult, I've learned over my life that that impression that I was not enough or that I didn't have anything to offer was a deception and a lie. 
because, quite frankly, one of the most freeing, freeing and motivating discoveries that I've made in my life, and hopefully that you will make today, or that you have already made, is that God trusts you more than anyone else. God trusts you and believes in you even more than maybe even you trust yourself. And as I was thinking about this scripture, I, I felt like one of the greatest tragedies, and I'll just read it. I feel like one of the greatest tragedies in your life and my life will be when we come to the end of our life, never having realized that you were one of God's greatest resources to make the greatest impact here on earth and in eternity. But you wasted your life and the potential within it. It's one of the greatest tragedies that you wasted your life and the potential within it by failing to be willing and choosing to do nothing with it. That is one of the greatest tragedies, I feel like. Because you, sitting here and listening, are the greatest resource. God's greatest resource. You are. Whether you're 85 or you're 15. Whether you're single, married, divorced, you have kids, or you don't. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you are God's greatest resource to make the greatest impact on earth and in eternity. And so I, I'd like for us to discover this and see this. If you would, please open to Matthew. Um, chapter 25, or you can pull that out on your phone. Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> and we're going to read today um, a parable that has been dubbed or named the parable of the talents. And honestly, I feel like these names sometimes are um, distracting and take us down holes that we shouldn't necessarily go down. Um, and, and, and you'll probably see why. I feel like this is a distracting title, Parable of the Talents. Um, and so as we, as we go into this, I, I kind of want to give you a little context here. Jesus is literally within a few days, if not closer, to the Passion, what we call the Passion, which is the Last Supper, his betrayal at the garden, his arrest, his trial, and the crucifixion of Jesus, his death, three days in the ground, and, and resurrection. He's, he's within a very, very short time. And what we find here is that Jesus has left the temple, the center of the nation, the center of worship, the center of commerce, the center of, of Israel's identity. And he's left with his disciples, and he's gone down the Kidron Valley, and he's, he's walked up, and he and his disciples have planted themselves opposite the temple on the Mount of Olives, which is where he will be eventually, where he struggles with what is to come in prayer that night. And they're sitting there on the Mount of Olives, and the temple is in front of them. And his disciples, particularly Peter, James, John, and Andrew, we find in another gospel that it's these four that really are asking him some questions about the end times. And it's really uncanny because for Jesus, this literally is almost the end of time for him on earth, in flesh. And they say, what are the signs to come so that we know? And Jesus shares a lot of things that's so ambiguous and clear as mud. And then he begins to talk 
and share in story form, in parable. And if you're new to Scripture, um, or if you're not, I think we need to be reminded of what a parable really is. A parable is a, a short story that's sometimes made up right in the moment. And Jesus was creative enough to, to make these stories up in the moment. But they're short stories that are untrue, but are just deep with truth about God and the kingdom and people and humanity. And really, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so he shares this parable. And so let's read Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like, let me pause. What will be like, Jesus? We're jumping into the middle of this, and he's really describing what the kingdom of heaven will be like. The kingdom of heaven will be like. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Each according to his ability. I think it's pretty important. We're going to come back to that. Then he went on his journey. Now, I just want to pause there. Sorry to interrupt your reading, but uh, this is a very clear illusion of Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is leaving, and he's going to the right hand of the Father, and he's entrusting his servants with his property. Let's jump back in. The man who had received the five talents were at once went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, pause. Folks, Jesus is coming back. I figured the old Nazarenes would give us an, a shout on that one. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. That's right. He's going to come back. That's, a, that's an allusion to a second coming. Let's jump back in. After a long time, when Jesus comes back, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And some of you might be reading as, Come and share your master's joy. I prefer that statement a little bit better. Then the, the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard, a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Uh, I've always wondered, why aren't you giving it to, to the one that has four? 
Isn't God supposed to be fair? Folks, God's not a socialist. God's not a socialist. He will entrust more to those he trusts more. Right? For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's, uh, let's just pause and pray. Jesus, you know that my mind has been pretty scattered in reference to this sermon um, more than just this past week. I ask that you speak clearly the text, the scripture because I firmly believe that your word is a living word and it it pierces in the heart and it judges the heart. But quite frankly, I pray that all of us sitting here and listening open our hearts to what it is that you have to say. May the truth run deep into us and may we do with the truth what you desire for us to do with it. I give you praise and glory. It's in your name that we ask, Jesus. Amen. So here we have this parable, this short story. Jesus going away and coming back, and he's settling accounts. And so we often find that, at least I've often found that, most sermons and teachings focus on the first two, two servants. The one that was given five talents and the other that was given two talents. And, and the fact that the master came back and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Because I don't know a believer in Christ that has been around the church for umpteen years that has never said, I want to hear, well, and good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. We, we like to attach to that, right? But kind of have a problem with that because I really feel like there are many, not here, um, elsewhere, many that, that, that you will want to hear that, but that may not necessarily be what you hear. Because Jesus defined wickedness, not just merely what you do, but what you don't do with what you have. And he truly defined faithfulness by doing what you, with what you have, doing good with it, and being fruitful. Faithfulness is connected to fruitfulness, not merely showing up on Sunday once every two to three Sundays a month. Not just serving on a board once in your life. That we are to be fruitful, you and I, in our life. So the master, the master entrusted his property to them. Each according to his ability. And then he comes and reckons with them all. What happens? The one with five talents goes and put his, puts the money to work. And the one with two goes and does the same and puts it to work. And they gain. Now let me ask you a question. Is there any guarantee that they're going to gain anything? That's not rhetorical. Is there any guarantee that they're going to gain anything? Absolutely not. There's no guarantee they're going to gain. But what did they do? They risked it. They tried. They stepped in with what they were given, and they tried. Folks, the kingdom of God is under the assumption of risk. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is assuming that you are going to now start taking risks in your life with your life. And so they went out. And the five gained five more. 
He could have gained 10 more. He could have gained three more. He could have gained one more. He could have lost. The other gained two more. And the same could have happened. He could have gained five more, 10 more, three more, or lost. Could have had a negative return. But he did not. The way Jesus compiles this story is that both of them gain. I just kind of want to clue you in. Because many of you are probably wondering, what in the world is a talent? Because I'm not assuming that everybody's read Scripture. Well, a talent is actually a unit of measurement. It's a unit of measurement, and it's approximately 75 pounds. I am about two and a quarter, maybe two and a half talents. 75 plus 75 is 150. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two and a quarter, two and three quarters. I don't know. I'm up there. I'm pushing three talents, man. My goodness. And so I did a little research. I was just really curious, man. This, some of your versions, some of your scriptures said bags of gold, bags of money. And I thought, man, if those are bags of gold, how much is that today? Because, man, I would like, whoo, that's pretty cool. So I, I went and I checked it out. $1,500 per ounce times 16 ounces because 16 ounces is one pound, right? Am I right? Okay. Whew. I'm not a grammar Grammar Nazi, and nor am I a, a very good mathematician. So, $24,000 per pound. $24,000 per pound. This is according to Thursday's gold price. This past Thursday's gold price. So, one talent, which is 75 pounds of gold, equals $1.8 million today. So, Let's just put it in today's terms. And we'll go backwards, okay? We're going to go backwards in the story. The third servant was entrusted with the master's property, one talent. And according to today's gold price, he was entrusted with $1.8 million. The second servant was entrusted with two. According to today's price, $3.6 million. And the first servant, five talents, nine mil. I often wondered why Jesus chose bags of money because I can see all of your faces. You're like, man, that's amazing. What if I was entrusted with that? Because Money speaks, does it not? Right? He could have chosen anything else. But he chose money because he knew that would catch people's interest. But in the white, I, I want you to see what their return was. So let's start from the bottom and move up. The return of the first servant, he went out with five. He came back with five more, which means he had the count from Sesame Street says 10. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Okay, yeah. So 10. He comes back with 10 and he has $18 million. 10 talents. The second servant had two. And his return was two. And he came back and said, here's four. $7.2 million. The first servant. What did he do With the 75 pounds of gold, he dug a hole and buried it in the ground. And you wonder why Jesus had the other parable where he said there was a man that was on a journey and he he found treasure in the ground. Because this idiot buried it in the ground. (laughs) Right? He buried it in the ground. And what did he return to the master? One talent, $1.8 million. All of them returned to the master what was entrusted to them. Did they not? All of them returned to him what he entrusted to them. 
Only two of them returned with gain. One of them returned without gaining anything. Now I wonder, hopefully you're wondering the same thing. Why? Why did this man bury the 75 pounds in the ground? What did he do with his time afterward? Even Jesus said, after a long time, the master returned. What did he do with his time? He sure wasn't like the ant who was diligent in doing what the ant is supposed to do. No. In those old cartoons of the ant and the grasshopper, he was like the grasshopper, fiddling away, idle with his time, just as idle as the bag in the ground. Why did he do this? Well, let's go back to see what he said. Because I feel like that tells us a little bit. If you would like to, please go back to verse 24. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not gathered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Did the servant believe he was under-resourced? By all accounts and by all math, he was definitely not under-resourced, was he? He may have believed that he was under-resourced. Did the servant believe that regardless what he did with whatever he was given, the master was rich enough anyway, so whatever he did, whatsoever he did, really wouldn't have any impact anyways? The servant was, the third servant chose to do what he did partially because of fear. But did you notice and catch his response? Who does he put it back on? He puts it back on the master. You ever blame God? You ever point the finger at God? Blame him for whatever's going on in your life? Isn't it pretty dangerous to blame other people for the life you're living right now? Isn't it pretty dangerous to blame one person or everyone for the life that you're choosing to live right now? Now, granted, I know that sometimes things happen in our world. Things happen to us. Things happen beyond our control. And some of those things we do choose. But I want to speak to those things that have happened to us or happened beyond our control that impacted us. At some point or another, that can no longer be the excuse of why we are living the way we're living right now. We have to take responsibility for how we're choosing to live right now. We have to. Whether we're an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, or non-Christian, or some other religion, we all have to take responsibility for where we're living right now. And the servant put it back on the master. You ever misunderstood God? I know I have. I actually had a professor. It was my first day of seminary, my third class. And the professor walked into the room, and immediately I looked at the professor and I thought about an individual in my past because the professor looked like this individual. And that individual in my past did me wrong. Very wrong, and it was a public wrong. And all those feelings came up in that moment. I realized I had unresolved issues. <laughs> and what I did was I projected them on 
the professor. And through that semester, that created a boundary and a barrier between me and that professor. But here's the thing. Just a couple years later, I got to know that professor really well. And he was the meekest, most intelligent, kindest man and all I wanted to do was follow him around and listen to what he had to say. I projected things in me on him. The servant's doing the same thing. He's misunderstanding the master. Let's go back to the scripture. It said he called his servants in and entrusted them with his property. The master was generous to begin with. And the master was not a micromanager. Many of us think God is a micromanager waiting for you to screw up. But the master gave the servants his property and said, here you go. Do good with it. Take the risk. It's yours. Invest it. Go and do. He was generous. He was freeing. And did you realize the first two servants, we already said that there was no guarantee that there would be a return. They took the risk. They actually believed that the master was not only generous, but gracious. And he was very capable for handling their mistakes. Very capable of handling their mistakes. The third servant misunderstood the master. Are you misunderstanding the Lord? Are you misunderstanding God? Are you putting on God what is you haven't dealt with on the inside? Are you putting on God what is you and not Him? I wonder. If you are, there's time to change that. You're not the first person, I'll be the front of the line. And so, for whatever reason, fear, that first servant took, or that, that third servant given one talent, took the talent, buried it in the ground, and left it idle. And what did the master say to that servant? You, or what did the master say to the servant? you wicked, lazy servant. Folks, I know it would be good to hear, well done and good and faithful servant. But we have to understand and redefine faithfulness in our mind. It's not just showing up. There is an expectation from the master and an expectation from the Lord that we do good with what we have been given. Now, these are bags of gold. I want to pull it in a little bit because none of us sitting here have $1.8 million in your bank account. And if you do, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I was not going to go there. If you do, congratulations. Because God has resourced you. Because God has resourced you to do good, right? But didn't you just go through kind of a little self-assessment about who you are? Just a little bit. There was nothing academic about that. I, I asked you earlier, 
Have you ever felt like you were not good enough? That you had nothing to offer? See, the master entrusted property, but God has entrusted to you your breath, your waking hours, some of you cooking abilities, some of you joy who can light up a room, some of you can make the one person in front of you feel like they're, they're, only, they're the only person in the room. God has entrusted you abilities, skills, talents, some that people know about and some that other people don't know about. God has entrusted you creativity and intelligence. He's entrusted that to you. This isn't about money, although that is one thing that he has entrusted to you as well. He's entrusted to to you opportunity, and that is a huge resource. And what God expects, that you do something with it. And he sees something that you don't. See, the master trusted all, entrusted all three servants' property that was his, and he trusted all three servants more than the servants trusted themselves, and in fact, more than the servant trusted the master. God has entrusted you. You. I said you are the greatest resource to make the greatest impact in your world and in your community and in your workplace because God has entrusted that to you to do it. And so, there is something that God sees in you and, God, and the master saw in the servant that the master, that the ma- the servant, nor we see. There's potential, and the amazing thing about potential is when you step into the potential, you realize that there's more potential there to be had. Notice how Jesus said, "Take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten, because I will entrust more to those that I trust more." who have done good with what, with what they've been given. That's essentially stepping into your hope and future, not realizing whether you're going to come out with a gain or not, and allowing the Lord to do what He's going to do, and you just stepping in and realizing there's a lot more to be gained. I asked you earlier, are you static or are you dynamic? If you believe that you were, you were static and that you can never change We need to go back to this parable because the fact is the more you step into the potential and the life that you're created to live, the more life and potential opens up to you. And the more opportunity opens up to you. Therefore, you are not static. You are dynamic. That is the way you are wired. It's the way you're designed. So we're going to wrap up here just a minute or two probably five but I found it uncanny I don't know Sandy did you write this did you find this after our discussion this week okay yep and thank you for all that you invest I feel like this parable is not a parable of the talents that had been so dubbed by whoever dubbed it, probably biblical scholars, because it directs our eyes to the talents. It doesn't go beneath, it doesn't go underneath and find what's in depth there. Actually, I feel like this is a parable of investment, risk, and return. Investment. And thank you for all that you invest. I've been mulling over for the last probably eight months the difference between spending and investing. 
Many of you have probably said, as much as I, that I spent my time doing this. That person took this time. I spent this. I spent that. I am spent. But there's a difference between spending and investing. Because honestly, spending is a transactional moment. Is it not? You hand this, you get this. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of spend. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of investment. You give this, and it's not immediate. The return happens over time the more you invest. It's like that statement that I made several months ago. That we need to be a people that plants the tree that will never sit under the shade of that tree. But it's for those that come after us. That's investment. Pastors, I don't know if you know this, but most pastors, their tenure at a church is anywhere between 18 months to three years. That's it. Why? It's unsafe for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways because I am who I am, right? No. Um, It's because these folks, there are some pastors that just want to go to the next better thing. They don't want to stay and invest in their people. They don't want to stay and invest in the church. They don't want to stay and invest in their community. But the greatest return is when you invest yourself. John Maxwell said, leadership is influence. Everybody has influence. But how do you gain more influence? You invest in people. How do you invest in people? You give them time. Simon Sinek says, don't invest in ideas, invest in people, because good people will make bad ideas better. Investment. God expects you to invest you. You've been given something. Do good with that something. And it's going to be a risk. There was no guarantee for the first two servants. There was no guarantee for the third servant. But the first two took the risk. And what happened? There was a return. Jesus said, be fruitful. Bear fruit. You must bear fruit. That is the sign of your faithfulness. Fruitfulness is the sign of your faithfulness. Say it with me. Fruitfulness is the sign of your faithfulness. Fruitfulness is the sign of your faithfulness. Folks, When you are fruitful, the master will say, well done, good and faithful servant. When you are fruitful, do good with what you have. And what you have will expand. Your influence will expand. Your capacity to love will expand. Your leadership will expand. Who you are becomes greater and you step into the life that you were created to live. Do good with what you have. You are not under-resourced. You are not under-resourced. You are enough. The master leveraged those servants for success. He did not posture them for failure. God has not postured you for failure. But even if you step up, you take the risk and you fall flat on your face, guess what? He is very competent and equipped to pick you back up brush you off, and put you back out on the field. Because he is unlimitedly resourced. So will you please stand? If you are here today or if you're listening online, I'm asking that you invest. I'm asking that you invest you.
One, I'm asking that you invest in your family. Two, I'm asking that you invest here in your body. That means showing up, but that means putting to work who you are. Not asking, God's not asking you to be something you're not, but be who you are. See the potential, not only in you, but in your investment. But also invest in people outside of here. Invest in your community. Invest in your workplace. Invest in those people that want nothing to do with you. Invest you. You are the greatest resource that God has to make the greatest impact where you are. You. So, would you bow your heads for just one moment? Jesus, I love you. And I'm pretty sure I can speak for a majority of the folks here. We love you. And we thank you that you are generous and that you are gracious and that you are very competent to handle our mistakes. No greater mistake than sin. But I think the second greatest mistake that we can make is not doing good with what we have thinking it's not enough, afraid that we'll fail, afraid that we won't have a return. God, in your hands, there is a massive return. And Lord, I don't want any one of us to have what we have been given taken from us and given elsewhere because we were unfaithful, because we were wicked, May the people of Wapaknaz, whether they are here for the first time in a long time, here for the first time, or have been here for a long time, may the people of Wapaknaz be investors of themselves in other people and in this body and in their respective communities. Because with you, man, the impossible is possible and is done. I love you, Lord Jesus. I thank you. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray today. Amen. Folks, be loved people loving people to Jesus. Have a good night. We'll see you soon.